Well, uh, today is week seven in our series, Tough Talk, The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And uh, as we've said over the last few weeks, the hard sayings of Jesus fall into essentially two categories. Those sayings which are hard to understand, and then sayings which are um, hard to put into practice. And some of the sayings of Jesus actually fall into both groups, both categories. They are firstly hard to understand, and when we eventually understand them, <laughs> they are then quite difficult for us to put into practice. And this week's talk focuses on the words of Jesus, which are exceptionally easy for us to understand, but they're pretty difficult for us to follow through in our lives. And the words uh, that we're going to be looking at this morning are found in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25 to 34. And this passage, for those of you who were around last week, it immediately follows on from the passage that we studied together last week. And if you have a New International Version of the Bible, this section is subheaded, Do Not Worry. And in the 10 verses that we're going to be looking at uh, this morning, we have this phrase from the lips of Jesus, do not worry on four occasions. There's so many things, aren't there, that we worry about as, uh, as just people. Uh, you know, those things that really get inside of our heads, those things which cause us uh, great difficulty some nights getting to sleep the anxieties of exams and jobs and finances and houses and families and wayward kids and aging parents and broken relationships and illnesses and death. And then there's society's ills, violence, selfishness, the economy, a no-deal Brexit, or for some, any kind of Brexit. Sorry to use the B word in the sermon this morning. I'm sure that all of us have experienced those occasions in our lives when stuff is happening to us. Those times in our lives of chaos and disarray when we are just being crushed with worry and we are living in fear of what might transpire. And then very often in those times you have some well-meaning friend who will come along and say, cheer up. Don't worry. Most of the things that you're worrying about will never happen, which of course might well be true. But it isn't particularly helpful to be told that, especially if you are a serial worrier. Do we have any serial worriers here this morning? Oh my word. Quite a few of you. This is for you. You see, but Jesus, when he tells us not to worry, which he does in this passage four times, he isn't like that well-meaning friend who's just trying to make us feel positive uh, about life. But Jesus <coughs> also explains the reasons why we should not worry um, and why we don't need to get eaten up by, by worry. He provides us with a new way to think. Uh, so let's read what Jesus said. I'll put the words up on screen if you've not got a Bible with you this morning. But I do encourage you, if you can, bring a Bible along on a Sunday morning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. 
Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. <clears throat> Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, or you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. <coughs> if you look at verse 25 there, it starts with the word therefore. And if you've been a part of this church for any length of time, you will know that whenever you see a therefore in scripture, you ask what it is. Therefore, <coughs> therefore that's right. Well, we're told, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. If you have a, a new international version of the Bible, this whole section, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, all the way through to uh, verse 34, is in two sections. The first section is uh, treasures in heaven, from verse 19 through to 24, and we looked at that last week. And then this section that we're looking at this morning, which is verse 25 through to 34. And that's entitled, Do Not Worry. And the way that the NIV does that is if we are talking of two separate subjects altogether. But we're not. There's a link between last week's message and last week's passage on not storing up for ourselves treasures on earth. And this wonderful passage that we are looking at today, this wonderful passage which has brought great comfort and consolation to so many people over the years. Jesus had just challenged his hearers that it is impossible to serve both God and money. Uh, this is where we finished off last week in verse 24. And uh, Jesus said, either <clears throat> he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Then uh, Jesus continues and says, therefore, therefore, for that reason, do not worry about your life. Okay, what's going on here? I believe that Jesus knew what the disciples were thinking at this time. <clears throat> Jesus had just told them, you can't serve both God and money. And Jesus anticipated their objections. And I imagine that they were thinking to themselves something like, nice sentiment, Jesus, but we live in the real world. We have to put food on our tables. We have mouths to feed. And Jesus anticipates their uh, objections. 
And essentially what he is saying to them in the passage that we read this morning is, if you take me at my word, and if you get your priorities sorted, and if you live for God with him at the center, with him at the driving seat of your life, then you don't need to worry about all these other things, like material provision, uh, for my Father in heaven will supply your daily need. It's really interesting to note that the word worry is found five times on, uh, in this passage, and the word worrying on another occasion. But the New Testament is, um, as we know, written in Greek, and the word worry is, uh, is a combination of two words. The first word is merizo, which means to divide, and nous, which means the mind. So what does that tell us about a person who is worrying? A person who has a divided mind. What did James say? For those of you that you know, you know your way around the New Testament, in his New Testament letter, what did he say about a double-minded man? Any of you know? Is what? Unstable in all his ways. Okay. So if to be worried is to have a divided mind, what do you think the antidote or the answer to worry is? A single mind. How do we do that? Well, Jesus has already told us how we do that. We do that by having one God, by making him our priority in life. Now, I'm a little bit of a wordsmith, and uh, I'm fascinated with how words come into our English language. And um, <coughs> the word worry comes into the English language from uh, the German word vorgen, which means to strangle. Now, when I was thinking about that the other day, I thought, wow, that's very, very appropriate, isn't it? Worry is to mean, means to strangle. And um, I think that that's a, a, a very, very appropriate w word, really, because what better word can you, ex uh, can you use to explain someone, describe someone, who is a worrier. The, wo the worried person is essentially strangled on the inside. And that ties in very much with what Jesus spoke in the parable of the sower. Jesus said that the seed that was sown amongst the thorns represents those who hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for things to come will choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, last week I said that the antidote to materialism is... Can any of you remember? You're breaking my heart, you know. <laughs> <coughs> I should never do this, actually. Is, is what? Generosity. generosity. Thank you. Gold star. The antidote to materialism is generosity. Well, if that is so, the antidote to worry is to put God in his rightful place. Just think about that for a moment. That is so important that we get a grasp of this. The antidote to materialism is generosity. The antidote to worry is to put God in his rightful place. And when we choose to do that, the world, our world, will look a very, very different place. So what we're going to do uh, for the next uh, 20 minutes or so 
<coughs> is walk through this amazing passage and hear what Jesus has to say about uh, worry. And allow these words this morning to sink deep into our hearts. The first thing that uh, Jesus says is that, uh, that worry is unreasonable. In verse 25, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Now, I've had the immense uh, privilege of visiting some um, of our missions works uh, in various countries. Um, I've been to India, I've been to Malawi, and I've been to uh, Zambia as well. And in all three countries, I was utterly shocked by the level of poverty I witnessed. It was an incredible blessing, don't get me wrong, to go to these places and see what was going on and the good works there. But it unsettled me deeply. And when I came back into the UK, <coughs> I was very unsettled for quite a long time. Because in some of the regions uh, that I visited, there were people there that didn't even have the basics of life in contrast to us in the UK who have simply so much. And for me, there was a deep sense of injustice here and it was, it was palpable, it really was. You see, in the Western world, we've been enticed to believe that the more we purchase certain items or goods, then the happier or the more fulfilled that we will become. And as a society, I believe that we become very engrossed, too preoccupied with material comforts. You know, if you pick up any glossy magazine, you will be immediately aware of adverts which are concerned with the welfare of our body, how to feed it, clothe it, warm it, cool it, relax it, titivate it, titillate it. And Jesus is saying here that there's far more to life than being focused on what we eat and what we wear. Uh, as he says in another place, the, the abundance of our possessions. And you see, I believe that when we reduce our expectations of the, the must-haves in life and choose to live a simpler life, we will relieve ourselves of a significant amount of worry. That's what Jesus seems to be saying there in that verse. The second thing that he says is, um, worry is illogical. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? <coughs> Jesus says, open your eyes, look. If God is able to take care of these creatures who don't sow or reap or store away in barns, then he is most certainly going to take care of you because you are much more valuable than they. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why those anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, well I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such who cares for you and me. Now that's a delightful sentiment, but it's not what Jesus taught. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus did not teach that the birds of the air have a heavenly father. He taught it, that it is we, human beings, people made in the image and likeness of God who have a heavenly father. 
And if he who is our heavenly father also takes care of the birds of the air, how much more will he look after his children? That's the lesson. Verse 26. Are you not much more valuable than they? You see, Jesus doesn't just say, like that well-meaning friend, don't worry, and then let us get on with it. But Jesus is giving us the reasons why we need to almost rethink. And uh, in essence, he is saying here, he's saying, open your eyes, look around you, look above you, look at creation, look at the birds, see the handiwork of God. See this great world that he has formed. Observe the amazing ecosystem. Just look and see. And maybe that's something that we, all of us, need to do more of. For when we get a right focus, I believe, of God's greatness, and we've been singing about God's greatness this morning, haven't we? And his grace and his goodness. And I think that's a wonderful thing to do. And I just love doing that. When we come to worship together, that we come and we concentrate our thoughts and we reflect on the God that we worship, as Dan was saying right at the very start of our service this morning. And when we do that, and when we fill our minds with how awesome God is, we will gain a new perspective, I believe, and our, and our worries will be firmly put in place. Thirdly, worry is unhelpful. Verse 27, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? There was a lady who said to uh, uh, a lady, sorry, one, one day a lady said to her friend who was a, a chronic worrier, she said, uh, do you realize that 80% of the things that you worry about will never happen? Her friend thought about that comment for a moment and said, see, I told you, worry works. <laughs> you got there in the end, yes. It was Winston Churchill uh, who said that when I look back on my worries, I remember the story of an old man who said on his deathbed that he had a lot of troubles in his life, most of which never happened. Jesus here emphasizes the futility of worry. He is saying that you cannot change anything at all by worrying about it. It's actually a complete waste of time. And you see, in our lifetimes, medical science has progressed with lightning speed. And yet, our lives are in the hands of God. You can have two people of the same age who are suffering from the same condition, admitted to the same ward in the same hospital, under the same doctor who have the same operation. One lives, the other dies. Why? It's because our lives are in the hands of God. And I thank God that he's actually hidden that from us. For he knows when our day is. That day when we will leave this realm and be promoted into his presence. But worrying isn't going to alter that fact one iota. Worrying can never add anything to our lives, but it can certainly subtract from our lives. With ulcers, nervous breakdowns and stress and related illness. And Jesus says here that it doesn't matter... How much you worry, you won't add a single hour to your life. Someone rather humorously said, worry never achieved anything other than wrinkles, which gives you something else to worry about. <coughs> During the early days of the Salvation Army, its founder, General William Booth, 
and his associates and um, uh, they were just bitterly attacked by leaders in the country and also by uh, church leaders as well. They were totally misunderstood. And whenever um, uh, William Booth's son Bramwell uh, showed his father a newspaper attack, the general would reply, Bramwell, 50 years hence, it will matter very little indeed how these people have treated us. It will matter a great deal how we deal with the work of God. I found that very challenging. The same could be said about worry, couldn't it? You know, the things that so concern us now and make us so worried will be insignificant uh, to us, not only in 50 years' time, because most of us probably won't be around there anyway. Obviously, some of the younger folk in, uh, I'll be, no, I wouldn't even think how old I would be if I was around. But in five years' time, in one year's time, in five months' time, Probably the things that we are so struggling with now and uh, this great big black cloud over us will not have the same effect upon us. You know, the worries as I look back that I had uh, perhaps some time ago, night after night, some years back, and they just don't have that same sting in my life now. And again, it's all about Jesus is saying, gain a new perspective here. Fourthly, Worry is incompatible with faith. Verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you or you of little faith? Jesus is saying here that the flowers of the field have greater splendour than King Solomon in all his regalia. And yet, they're here today and tomorrow they're thrown into the fire. In other words, what he's saying is that they're transient. They're transient, they're passing, their glory is short-lived. And the argument here that Jesus is using is that if God treats the flowers of the field with such care and precision, which are on earth for such a short while, how much more, how much more is he going to take care of us? Because we are not creatures of time, we are creatures of eternity. That we are the apex and the pinnacle of God's creation. That we are of infinite worth to him. You see, I believe that worry is essentially a, a control issue. Well, what do I mean by that? Worry is all about trying to control the uncontrollable. We can't control the economy, so we worry about it. We can't control the children, so we worry about the children. We can't control the future, so we worry about the future. It's all about control. But if we allow God to be in control, I believe that the need for worrying will slowly dissipate and disappear. And at the most basic level, worry is essentially a lack of trust in God. And if we trust him for our uh, daily provision, then worry itself will evaporate. Do excuse me this morning, I'm, I'm struggling with my throat here at the moment. Fifthly, worry is unchristian. Verse 31, 
So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. And what Jesus is saying here, essentially, I believe, is for us to remember who we are. To remember who we are. To remember that we are children of his kingdom. To remember that we are his special family, special in his, eye, in his eyes. And to remember that we don't need to conform uh, to the way that unbelievers live. They might be concerned and worried about all sorts of things, but they don't know any better because they don't know our Father who is in heaven. Earlier in Matthew chapter 6, in the same chapter that we are looking at this morning, uh, Jesus taught something similar uh, concerning prayer. I'll put the words up for you in verses uh, 7 and 8. And Jesus said, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. What an incredible thought that is, isn't it? What an incredible thought that our Father knows what we need. You know, we can pay lip service to that. But really, you know, to stop for a moment and reflect upon that truth. Wow. Our Father in heaven knows what we need, even before we ask him. And I would say that that's another reason for us not being worried or fearful. Sixthly, and there's only seven, so don't worry. You're not going to be here much longer. Worry is unnecessary. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And what Jesus is saying here is that we need to put th first things first in our lives and to get our priorities sorted. Perhaps when you get up in the morning to pray a prayer, Lord, this is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today, Lord, I'm choosing to serve you. Lord, today I am choosing to do your will and to honour you. Lord, whatever I encounter today, let me be sensitive to your presence and to your grace and your strength helping me through it. You see, what Jesus is saying is that all the stuff that you once fretted about and worried about, when we do this, when we give, put God as our priority, all those things will fall into place. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And what's the result? Well, we see it. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There was once a, a billboard poster outside of a church, and it said, uh, Why pray when you can worry and take tranquilizers? I, I think that was, that was quite good. And worry is incompatible with common sense. In verse 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Abraham Lincoln uh, once said that the best part of the future is that it comes just one day at a time. And you see, if tomorrow brings us trials and troubles, then we can take heart because the God that we worship and have committed our lives to will be ahead of us 
and will offer his grace and his strength in those times. And therefore, we don't need to be anxious about that. It's always good to plan and to make provision for the future in some kind of responsible way, but not to be anxious about it. As someone once said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. I love that uh, great hymn. We sometimes sing it here. It's uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And there's a line in one of the verses which says that our God, our faithful God, gives strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine and 10,000 beside. I'm going to finish. Finish with an old tale. It's a tale of a wealthy English baron who had one son. The son grew up but in his early teens, his mother died, leaving a grieving father and son. As time went on, the father devoted himself to raising his son, but then in his late teens, the son died of an incurable disease. During this time, his father's financial holdings and investments increased. He used much of his wealth to acquire magnificent works of arts from the masters. Eventually, The old man became ill and died, but just before his death, he carefully prepared his will with his solicitor and gave him explicit instructions on how his estate and his art collections were to be sold. Because of the the quantity and the quality of these great artworks, um, which were valued at millions of pounds, a huge crowd assembled. Among the buyers were various people, curious museum curators, other arts collectors, The art was displayed for two days before the auction and uh, among them was a painting which received very little attention. It was an amateurish portrait of the owner's son by a local artist. And when the day for auction came, a large crowd assembled. The lawyer read the old man's will. It instructed that the first painting was to be sold was that of his beloved son. There were no bidders except the old servant who had known and loved the lad. He made a small bid, and he did so for sentimental reasons and for memories that it held for him. The lawyer then stood up again and read the will. Whoever buys my son gets all of my art collection. The auction is over. Now, it's it's an old story. It's an old tale. It's not true. It's an urban myth, if you will. But that isn't the point. The point is, what is it that that story tells us? And the story tells us, whoever gets the son, gets it all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. I love the way that the message uh, translates that, and I'll just put that on screen and It says, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Let's pray together, shall we?